bucks. Never stop here. You're listening to Green and Growing, hosted by Sparky Pfeiffer and Nathan Marzion. Hey, it's Sparky Pfeiffer, 1250 AM, The Fan, along with our guy, uh, Mr. Nathan Marzian. After Christmas, now in the books. You can follow him on Twitter, Nathan Marzian. Follow me at Sparky Radio. Special guest, one of our favorites, he is Ty Windish, Real Step Podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at Ty Windish as well. And right before we started this uh, recording here on Tuesday evening, we were talking about the Pistons. Uh, playing the Nets uh, and how the Pistons appear to have a uh, target on their back. And we had mentioned this in the past as far as nobody wants to be the team that they win to beat their losing streak. Nobody wants to be in that position. Uh, and Ty, you were saying that they, they may have teams coming at them harder than some of the better teams. I think 100%. I think if you look at it, fat, maybe – you know, factor aside, like what the Bucks and the Pacers had, like personal animus. I right. think outside of those situations, just like looking at teams, I feel like there's no one you're going to get a harder game versus than the Pistons right now. The Nuggets are reigning champs. They've had kind of a weird year, though. They haven't been, you know, decisive. They haven't been all powerful, anything like that. I I feel like the other great teams, it's just not the same. No one's been like a clear, there's not like a 73-win Golden State team brewing this year. Boston's really good, but I don't think it's quite that level. But nobody wants to lose to the Pistons. Nobody wants to be the team. I mean, it's going to be historic. They're, they've now, I think, tied the longest in-season losing streak ever. I think they're two losses away from even combining two, two seasons. So, yeah, I think uh, I'm glad. I'm, I was real worried about that Bucks pistons game, to be honest with you. I, yeah. I I was worried the Bucks could be the one. But and clearly, and as we as I'm talking about, they came out like, no, we're not going to not going to be us, man. Somebody else has to be the one to lose to these guys. Finally, you were worried. I was I had tickets to that game with a seven year old. I'm like, my God, if they lose <laughs> this game, I'm going to just cry. We had great seats. The whole deal. I'm like, please, please don't let this happen. And like you said, they were in control the whole game. All right. Go ahead, Nathan. I was going to say, not only do teams kind of start out where like, like they start off the game, it's like, okay, we can't let these guys, you know, we, we want to just make sure we take care of business. Let's stay focused throughout the game. You have a little extra, extra motivation to be focused because you don't want to lose to them. But if you fall behind, you're trying harder and harder to get, you know, to get back in the game because you don't want to lose to this team. Whereas against another team, you might say, okay, you know, we're down 10 to 12. This might just not be our night. You're not as motivated to like, we got to make sure we get back in this game. We got to make sure we can get on a run here. Um, you know, Pistons started out, we were talking about this because they're playing right now and they started out up 22 to eight and it's 36, 32 now. So it's, it's a game again, but it's like teams are not just going to like fold against the Pistons because they're like, no, we can't lose to this team. It's you gotta, the Pistons now have to play like a basically complete game to actually beat a team, which is hard enough for any, you know, for, for a bad team to do, but for a historically bad team, it's, and I don't understand how they're so bad. I don't get that. They're, I know they're bad. I know they're not a good team, but I did not think this team would be two and 28 or whatever they are. And on the verge of the longest losing streak ever, like they have some level of talent. They're not this, like, they're not a horrible, horrible team. I, I don't, I just don't get it. It seems like one of those, like everything that possibly could go wrong, goes wrong seasons, injuries, Monty Williams, at some points, it feels like he just wants them to fire him so he can just keep all that yeah. money but not have to show up and coach the Pistons anymore. Really bad roster construction, too. I mean, they don't have that many great defenders. They have, I think, one good shooter. Guys they were counting on to be good shooters are shooting in the low 20s from three. Like, that. that's always going to be tough in today's league. I just feel like they don't have anything they can hang their hats on. It's, like, it's ugly. I mean, the owner had to do a media Q&A 
to talk about like, yeah, we're going to do something. They haven't done anything yet, but you know, that's not good. The owner does not usually just give a Q and a in December. Well, like think that's, that, that's, that's a sign of like, okay. Yeah. I, we realize it's really bad. Yeah. But I mean, that was like, what, what happened there was similar to what we did to Herb Cole back in the day when you had a bunch of dudes walk up on Herb wearing bags over their head during a TV yeah. game. Um, and it, all all hell came out uh, on the Bucks organization because how could you allow somebody to get to the owner wearing prom vapor bags on their head, right? Well, in this case, they were all chanting, sell the team, sell the team. That dude got mad, and I mean mad, and was like, you know, all the millions of dollars we do in the within the, the community as an organization, and it's not just about wins and losses all the time, and oh, he was pissed. And, I mean, I get it, but you also have to understand their stand from their standpoint, too, like – they don't want to watch this crap, especially those that paid for season tickets here in Milwaukee. We went through a 15 win season. So, I mean, I get it. I, I don't get that long of a losing streak and having to deal with that, but 15 wins. I mean, that season long, well, you know, Ty and Nathan, it was extremely long. Okay. Well, let's talk about the bucks. Cause I mean, we are a bucks podcast, green and growing download on your Odyssey app. Where you download your favorite podcast at stream it uh, or watch it later on the Odyssey sports YouTube page. Can we talk about the defense of Mr. Ty Windish, please, if you don't mind? Uh, at the beginning of the year, awful. Uh, getting better. They made some changes. Uh, your thoughts on the changes they've made? Uh, and I know they lost to the Knicks on Christmas Day, and they were pretty much never really had a chance. I mean, they would fight back a little, and then the Knicks would pull back away. And the Knicks kind of pretty much controlled that whole game after the Bucs controlled the first game uh, against them in that weird back-to-back in New York. Uh, with the day off in between Uh, your thoughts on this defense and where it could go in the future. Yeah. I'm glad we started with the Pistons first because the way the Bucks played on Christmas, I wasn't super excited to talk the uh, the very recent pass for the Bucks. Um, Yeah. I think the defense, like from what we've seen from Adrian Griffin so far, he is kind of a tinkerer. It's it's throwing a lot of different coverages and schemes at the opposing uh, offenses. And I think a lot of that is just necessity I think early in the year there was this desire to for the team to you know be coached the exact same way it was uh, when Mike Budenholzer was head coach. The problem with that is like Bud had either Eric Bledsoe or Drew Holiday the whole time, who are two tremendous point of attack defensive players, especially when it comes to drop coverage, you know, navigating screens, not giving up those wide open mid rangers, etc. And you know, for whatever you want to say between the two coaches, clearly the the personnel. It's just vastly different, right? And I think Griffin and the team is very aware of this. I think they've tried all sorts of different things, whether it's coverages, whether it's, you know, there were points in the second half where they were having Chris Middleton be the defender on Jalen Brunson to start possessions after the narrative around Chris for the last, what, year and a half, two years has been like, yeah, certainly lost a step defensively after the injuries, which is logical. And honestly, the this craziest part was, I think it kind of worked better than when they were putting uh, Malik Beasley or some of the other guys on him. As Chris was navigating screens better. He had a really bad one late. No one could guard Brunson at all. I mean, Andre Jackson Jr., who people get excited about, and it, he's exciting. He's an exciting rookie. Not even close. Like, he, he couldn't do anything to stop Jalen Brunson. No one on the roster seemed to be able to. Uh, I think, you know, it, it was as disappointing as that game in particular was, given you know, national TV, Christmas game, everything else. I'm glad that you did in the lead in Sparky mention, you know, they controlled this very same team in their same building just two days before that. So it's not, I don't think like all hope is lost because they had this wretched game to try and spoil our Christmases. But I think defensively, the more I look at it, it's like they can run all these different coverages, use different primary defenders, tweak things. 
they just need another good perimeter defender, especially to guard guards. That's really what they're missing. I, I think, you know, we didn't see Giannis on Brunson. I, I'm fine with that. I don't think Giannis is meant to guard point guards. It's just too hard for him at that size to slither around screens with these little guys. They need another plus guard defender. I don't know exactly where they'll find it. I mean, we can talk about avenues, but I, I don't think the two young guys are quite ready to be that yet designated. Crowder back will help, Jay Crowder, but you know he's a wing too. I think they just need one more plus defender who can hang with small guards and navigate screens. And then everything that they run is going to look a whole lot more cohesive than it does now when you just have too many guys getting beat right away to start start possessions. Yeah, and you mentioned, you know, two days earlier they beat the same team, and it's not like they played any better of defense on Brunson in that game. I mean, every game Brunson's played against the Bucs, it's kind of been the same thing. Like, you let him go off, he's going to hit all his mid-range shots, and he's going to have a big scoring night. But, you know, usually you're probably going to win because you'll neutralize the other guys. You're going to be great offensively. And that's kind of been, I don't know if it's 100% their strategy, but that's been part of it is, like, with these opposing guards, and and it's been, okay, let the, let these guys, you can score 30 on us, but we're going to end up beating you in the end, even though you, you know, because we know our weakness is going to be a point of attack defense, but make that guy kind of beat us on your own. Brunson had 36 two days before Christmas on better shooting, you know, seven assists. I uh, got Christmas. He had 38 and six assists. So basically the same stat line, but the difference to me was, um, you know, you didn't really neutralize RJ Barrett as much. He had a huge first quarter. And then Julius Randall also had 20 and our offense just wasn't as explosive. It got going in the second half, but in the first half, it was, one of their worst offensive first halves of the season. And that really just kind of, okay, all of a sudden you're playing from behind the whole game. Um, so I didn't think it was anything super new. I didn't think it was anything that, you know, it, that was different on Christmas than, than we'd seen. It just was like, okay, you know, they ended up losing the game because some other things happened, but yeah, I completely agree. They're going to probably need to get a, a perimeter defender. What have, what have your thoughts been on, on Dame's defense? Cause I know like, I asked the question earlier a couple of weeks ago where I was like, if the Bucks hadn't made the trade for Dame, if they still had Drew, where do you think they'd rank as far as defense compared to where they are now, which they're about 20th, but I mean, they after those first few games, they're like 13th, you know, since they went back yeah, to drop. But I look today, it's 13th, I believe, since the first four, since November 3rd. So even after that, yeah. that rough next game, still better than average technically defensively. Yeah, and obviously, I mean, the schedule hasn't been super tough, but whatever. Yeah. Um, but it's like, how have you viewed Dame defensively? I know he's not Drew. I know he hasn't been, you know, Drew's a, a much better defender. He's going to, if you had Drew, you'd be a better defense. But to me, I haven't seen this as, man, Dame is killing us defensively. Dame's, you know, just been a complete liability on that end. I don't, I, I just see him, I've seen him as like, okay, he's been serviceable. He's had his moments of, of you know, really bad play on that end, really bad Um effort on that end but for the most part i feel like 75 80 percent of the time i've been like I, i've been fine with his defense i don't know if you agree though i do yeah i mean i think uh i would say i think he ratcheted up the intensity more even recently i think after the the pacers loss you know the whole thing came out with bobby portis the team meeting and all this and it really kind of felt like a it could have been a decisive moment for this team in this season, right? Like if things kind of spiraled from then. And instead, the team went on a seven-game win streak before, of course, losing on Christmas. And I felt like over those seven games, it was probably the best game defense. And even against the Knicks, I mean, there was a possession late in that game when he was on Brunson, I think. And he played the possession as well as you possibly could. The whole, you know, whatever it was, 10, 11 seconds of guarding him. And eventually, Brunson just knocks down 
an outstanding like fadeaway jumper. And it was one yep. of those like great, great perimeter defense. Offense just wins though. The good offense wins if it's if it's really on point. So I, I think Dame's defense hasn't been a problem, but it's just he's not a plus either in that end, yep. I, I would say. I think some possessions, yes. I think it comes and goes, which is kind of the same for Giannis, which is kind of just how it is for players who are that involved offensively too. And that's why I think being able to add someone who you're not relying on as much offensively is a, is important. Like I think for Drew Holiday, it was almost the opposite where the defense would be there consistently and the offense would come and go. It seems very rare, especially, you know, in December, but even in playoff games or playoff series for players to be able to do a hundred percent both ways. That's a very rare caliber of player. I would not say Dame is doing that, but I do think uh, I, I don't think it's been like oh Dame is a horrible defender and that's that's the Bucks' big problem right now. What about at the end of that game? They should have been fouling. They weren't. Yeah. Uh, and Middleton's hands are up in the air. Like I didn't know what the heck we were supposed to be doing. I I got no idea. I've only played in the league twenty years. I have no idea I'm supposed to follow in that situation. That cracked me up. I'm sorry. Uh, and everybody's kind of looking at the sidelines, like to Adrian Griffin, like oh you didn't tell us what to do. We don't know what to do. I I, I mean. For me, it's, dude, you're a vet. You know what the heck the score is. You know how much time is left. Like, do your job. You don't need somebody to tell you what to do. But at the same point, there's another side of me like, shouldn't he maybe communicating this type of stuff, yelling and screaming, jumping up and down as far as what he wants him to do? you got Prunty right next to him uh, as well. I thought Prunty was jumping up and down on the sidelines when they inbounded that ball, yelling and screaming. Maybe I, maybe he wasn't yelling and screaming at them. I have no idea. Any concern there in late-game situations as far as communication goes, Ty? Uh, no, I mean, that that was it obviously wasn't good, that game. And then there was the other game when they didn't foul up three against the right. Bulls. And it was kind of like the – and I wonder if this was a similar thing. What we – you know, what Griffin said after that game was they basically had like a set of scenarios. So, you know, if a player has his back to the basket, you can foul. Or if, you know, if he's behind three-point line, be careful about fouling because – we don't want to pick up the three-point foul and, and kind of bail them out that way. Uh, and Caruso just made a great play in that game. And I, and I think, you know, and basically Griffin said, too, like we would adjust our parameters afterward because I think it ended up being back to the basket but behind three. So, you know, there was just like it was kind of a complicated case. I wonder in this game, and, and I know I think Hubie was saying this on the call for Christmas, like, you know, okay, if you're not going to foul right away, then don't foul. And, and I don't know – if like the coverage was misunderstood or how they were going to play, it was misunderstood. But I mean, you, they could have just straight up played defense that possession and tried to force a miss or a, or a steal. And they had gotten it like the, the Knicks weren't in a great position to get a shot. So at that point it was just like, okay, eat the six more seconds and try and force a miss here. And then Chris fouled. So it felt like, you know, the guys just weren't on the same page. That's certainly concerning, but I, I try to keep in mind with all of this, they played pretty rigidly a certain way for the last five years. And now I think things are different in a lot of these scenarios. So especially someone like Chris, who had been on the team for a long time, maybe would have been used to playing it a different way than they were. I don't know. It's obviously not ideal. You'd like to see it better executed. I also think, you know, the game was pretty much over at that point, but you still want to see better execution uh, than that. So, yeah, I think it's something that they'll work on. And what I try to do with these, with the rookie head coach and Griffin is go, okay, do they mess it up more than once? And I think if they mess it up more than once, that's my issue. We'll see the next time they're in this scenario, hopefully not for a while where they have to follow late, but you know, if they're on the same page and how they execute it. Ty, how dare you be so, so patient and allow them <laughs> to, to make mistakes? You know, that's not allowed. We're supposed to be, we're supposed to get so angry if they do anything wrong. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. But yeah. um, you mentioned earlier, you know, this team's going to need a, another 
defender, a guard defender, or perimeter defender. Um, naturally, that asks the question, you know, who do you think they end up trading or looking to trade? Because obviously, like, I mean, you have to take into account guys' value. Like, I see everyone always talk about, oh, well, we should trade. We shouldn't trade Bobby. We should trade Pat. And it's like, well, does Pat get you a player that really makes a difference as, you know, compared to trading Bobby? And I don't know. I, I, I want to get your thoughts, though, on who you think they end up trading or who they should end up trading in order to get that perimeter defender that they're going to end up needing. I actually think it's not. I think the value of Pat or Bobby as players is probably not the most important thing in any trade they make. Um, just because you're probably, and you never know, but you're probably dealing with a team that isn't good. You know, whether we're talking about pie in the sky, which seems to be Alex Caruso, whether you're talking about Matisse Tybel, maybe, you know, this has been kind of an under radar, under the radar one, but Chris Dunn over there in Utah. Um, or if, you know, Chicago really won't move from Caruso, uh, do you want to try out another uh, stint with old friend Javon Carter, who is also over there on the Bulls and, and not really playing all that much? Um, and I think, you know, doesn't maybe address everything you need, Javon, but certainly is a good you know, point guard defender. You can't can't really debate that much. Um, but I think most of those teams I just mentioned, you know, they're frankly, maybe they're excited about Bobby or maybe they're excited about Pat. But what they're really excited about is Portland's 2024 second round pick and Milwaukee's 2020 either seven or nine second round pick. I think, which it, are the I think two it's seven. I think yeah, it's seven, too. Um, I, I think that's really what would make one of those trades happen. And maybe also, you know, a Marjan Beauchamp and Andre Jackson Jr. Like, I, I think, you know, I, I had someone, uh, we have a GSPN Discord with a bunch of fans that chat in there during games. And somebody asked, like, you know, is, is Pat a negative value now with this contract? And I said, probably not. It's a small contract. I know there's a couple of years left, but I, I don't think it's something to where, like, you have to, you know, put in more just to offset Pat. I mean, it's it's a sub $10 million a year contract. I, I don't think, I, I think Pat is more likely to be traded at this point, as much as I love him. I've got, Sparky and I have argued about it. I've got the 24 in the rafters up here. Um, but the way he shot <laughs> the ball. Sparky yeah, hates I know. Pat. So, I, I this is music hate. to his ears. Music would have been traded, would have traded him two years ago. Easily. Never would have given and him a contract told- to begin with. Every I told Sparky last year all year, I'm like, Sparky, I know he's going through a little bit of a shooting slump, but I trust this guy in the playoffs. Like he's yep. come through the playoffs. He's he's been, you know, outside of Giannis, Chris, and like Brooke, it's like he's kind of been the best playoff offensive guy, most, most reliable. So and of course he played well in the playoffs. And yeah. He did. He playoff did. Yeah. I feel like he probably would again, but I just you look at the skill sets and I think they they need yeah. defense. And you watch Pat and he's, he's shooting really bad. And every time they lose now, you know, there's here's his stats and they look horrible because he's shooting whatever from three. You know, the plus minus, they're still pretty good with him on the court. Uh they've been even better with him off the court, which that, back can, up, one second, stop. Hold, hold on. What? I hate that stat. Okay. I've hated that stat since they put the dumb thing into the box score. The, there are so many variables there when are. you start talking about plus minus. Who's on the floor for the other team? Who's on the floor around you? What are the foul situations? What's the score? That I just I just think that stat is absolutely it can be. The smaller opinion. sample, the worse it is, too. So yeah, it's I, it's a pretty small I sample. I hate that stat. That's sorry. Fair. Go ahead. No, no, no. Sorry. It's more of just it's more of just a way of saying like they haven't it he hasn't he couldn't have he been hasn't that bad. he hasn't yeah, killed he hasn't the team he hasn't he hasn't been killing the team like last year Chris Although, Middleton everyone everyone told me Chris Middleton in the playoffs killed them defensively and I was like their defensive rating with Chris Middleton on the floor was perfectly fine so he couldn't have killed them I'm not saying he was good defensively but he couldn't have killed them defensively because if he did they would have a worse plus minus but yeah that's what he's saying um, but it is noisy I mean you look at Crowder's 
just as an example. And, it, you know, so I, I guarantee when he's ready to come back, there's going to be some national media person who is like, this guy is hurting their team. How oh, they even want him back? He's got like a minus 10 net rating because he played in a lot in those yeah. games where they were getting blown out in the first four uh, or those two games, I should say. But anyway, uh, Pat, it, like he rotates really well. He knows where to be on both ends, but like he's not able to prevent guys from driving right now, which is their biggest issue. He's also not knocking down the shots. You look at how good Crowder looked as a two-way player. And they just have so many wings. They have so many other guys who can do things offensively that I think he's in the most precarious position. If you move Bobby, there's got to be some sort of a big coming back because I don't want to you know, be unnecessarily mean on this podcast. It's green and growing. To me, that's very positive. But Do you know who I am? Do you fair. know who well, I then, am? Then I don't want to make it more mean then. Uh, Robin, Robin Lopez can't be in the rotation. Robin Lopez yeah. cannot be in the rotation. So you can't trade Bobby without getting a big back. You're just way too thin then. So I think it... Pat is the most, or you can figure out maybe the young guys in minimums to get a lesser salaried player too. Um, but yeah, I think I, I would like to continue trusting him. I think he'll be better, but I do think he's probably the most at risk right now. Just when you look at the salaries and you know, what everyone does for the team at the moment. As far as the, the two young guys, you know, Marjan, Andre Jackson, I know everyone, you know, loves kind of the shiny new toy. Everyone loves the potential. Yeah. Everyone, everyone is intrigued by those guys. But do you have any, you know, if you're if you're going for a proven perimeter defender, such as a, a Caruso, uh, you know, I don't know how likely it is, Dorian Finney-Smith, whatever, do you have any issue, you know, if they're like, we have to have Marjan in this trade or we have to have Andre Jackson thrown in this trade along with those picks, along with, you know, Bobby, Pat, whatever, um, do you have issue putting those guys in a trade like that? Because to me, you know, I, I've liked some of what I've seen from Andre Jackson, but it, and, and, and Marjan's been inconsistent, but that's kind of what young guys are. They are inconsistent. They aren't, you know, they're going to have flashes. They're going to have stretches where they look good, but then they're going to have games that they look just awful. And it's like, okay, they, they just can't play today. Um, and as far as when it comes to the playoffs, you know, you want consistency. You want something that you can hang your hat on. You want something that you know what a guy is giving you. So to me, I've kind of always had the mindset of like, well, if I can turn a guy that I, want to be a good role player into a good role player, then I'm going to do that. You know, I, I don't care if they are young and have potential and all that. It's like, I'm just going to take the, the 90, 80, 80th percentile outcome and just take that, you know, right away. So I don't know how you feel about it, but I, I just know a lot of people are very against the idea of, you know, we can't trade our young guys. And it's like, to me, I think they can. Yeah. I mean, I think it's gotta be the right trade. Um, and it's easy to say before seeing what the actual deals are. And I wouldn't want to move, both. Um, but yeah, I do think like, uh, you know, the right trade for one of them. And, and you see, you mentioned uh, Dorian Finney-Smith DFS. He doesn't really move me. Neither does Royce O'Neal. And I know you're just, you know, using examples of guys who could be available. Those two guys strike me more as like, they were the perimeter defender on just very bad defensive teams. And they were kind of good, but I don't think they're necessarily stoppers. I could be wrong. I haven't grinded Brooklyn Nets tape this year, to be honest with you. But like those guys, I wouldn't want to include Marjan or Andre Jackson. Caruso, that's a different story. And and I don't really, you know, without going through the whole league here, like Tybal, I'd be on the fence about including one of them. Um, maybe um, Javon Carter, uh, I would say no to that. Um, Chris Dunn, probably not. So it really just depends what what player is available. But I want like a clear plus defender. I don't want like a, yeah. oh, we got a fine perimeter defender who shoots 36% from three. That to me is like, okay, maybe he's not even playing based on the rotations in the playoffs if, if Crowder's healthy and, and everything else. So I think it depends on the trade. I wouldn't want to trade both. But I think certainly like just looking at the age of Damian Lillard, Brooke Lopez, Chris Middleton, and, and Giannis, 
you know, you have to be ready to win. You're trying to win a championship every year. You can't be like, well, what could Marjan be in year four or year five after we re-sign him when, you know, this is all, it's all so combustible. It's all so right now. And I think based on John Horst's history and the way the Bucks operate, I don't think they're going to be too precious with those guys. I think they'd like to keep them. But if it's someone to me, I think they're clearly going to be in the rotation every playoff series, every, you know, whether it's game one or game seven, like someone who you really, at least you think that when they're coming in, if it's just extra depth, I wouldn't move those guys. If it's someone you go, yeah, they're going to be the first guard off our bench and they're going to defend at a high level. Then yeah, I think they certainly have to be open to including one of them uh, in a deal at that point. What about the progression of the chemistry of Giannis Middleton and Lillard of those three guys playing together, Middleton's minutes are finally uh, back up to where they should be. Still not playing back-to-backs, but at least the minutes are up when he is in there uh, playing kind of here going forward. Uh, the Athletic and Zach Harper had some power rankings, um, and he's talking about whether or not uh, you know Middleton will be fresh in the playoffs because of what they're doing uh, right now and depending on how long it takes and so forth. Obviously, if he's fresh in the playoffs, that would be great. Uh, but more importantly is getting these guys as many minutes together as possible between now and the playoffs starting, obviously. Uh, your thoughts on how they've looked when they've been out there together? Uh, I think mostly good. I mean, it's definitely been a progr- uh, work in progress. I mean, it's always going to be when you add someone who's as high usage as Dame. And I think critically, like, they've now gotten to a point where 80 85% of the time he's out there. Dame is all over the ball and and just operating as the true point guard, even as he even should with Giannis, be. as he right. should be for sure. But that is a process, you know. You're talking about Giannis and and Chris were the guys who handled the ball the most, I think, especially in the big moments in 2021 in the finals run. And maybe that changed a little bit in in 22, obviously with no Chris, and last year with the injury to Giannis, everything was just kind of muddled and, and weird for the most part. But I, I think it, it hasn't been totally seamless. I probably was too high on it being, you know, a true seamless transition, which I shouldn't have been just based on, you know, you have a guy in Dame who's used to having the ball literally all the time when he's out there because Portland just didn't have anything else going for them versus Chris and Giannis who are used to having the ball quite a bit. And obviously Drew Holiday was an all-star, but there's just levels to this. So I think they've adjusted to it. I mean, they're 22 and eight. It's not like it's like they can't figure out how to do anything by any means. Although I know the the bad moments will stick out the most. Um, But I feel like they've been getting to a pretty good place of trying to limit how much Chris does when he's out there with Dame by making sure the offense is totally running through Chris when he's out there without Dame, which I think is the right move. And there's been some tough moments in those early fourth quarters, but I think it's necessary to do because Middleton is too good of a player to just have him go out there and be Michael Porter Jr. He can't just go stand in the corner all the time. And and I think there's this idea from fans that like, Dame should always be initiating the set. Giannis should just be screening and rolling and never ISO or do anything. And Chris should always be in the corner. And I just don't think that's how life works when you have players on this level, especially Dame and Giannis. But Chris, too, like there's give and take in the offense. I think you got to make sure everyone's involved and more than just, okay, Dame, Giannis, pick and roll. Everyone else spaces the floor. I like that they've done that. I think they could run the pick and roll a little more. Uh, But I feel like I think they're at a good spot now using the rotation to make sure everyone is involved enough and it's not just the Dame show or the Giannis show and, and everyone else is just standing around. And the, but hold on a second here. 
Now, you and I may disagree here, but in the in the closing moments of a game, it should be the Dame show. With all due respect to everybody else involved, I want it to be the Dame show. He should be the one that dictates, in my opinion, if he's taking the shot, if he's going, if he's kicking or whatever he's doing. I, I don't want Giannis pounding the ball at the top with 30 seconds to go and waiting for action to happen off of whatever he decides to do. Like I'm 1000% opposed to that whole concept and idea. I think it depends on matchup. Uh, I think if a team has no option to guard Giannis like Indiana, I have no issue with Giannis initiating. I, I think Dame's an awesome, Dame's the point guard. He's the initiator. He should initiate most of the time. But if teams are going to face guard and tilt their defense away from the rim to take him away, I have no issue with saying, okay, Giannis, go one-on-one because you're going to win 80% of the time. Um, and, and we know that. And I think just because Dame is so great, it doesn't mean that Giannis also cannot be a great play starter as well as play finisher and you know evidence to that is you know game six of the finals in 21 where he just did it all i i don't i think you're right that it should be the the standard configuration should be dame is the point guard and it rolls off that but i think you have to be willing to adjust and you know play with play within the the scenario too so uh, i don't know if it has to be all the time i think they're at a pretty good level with it right now honestly so I thank you, thank you, thank you, because this is exactly what I've been telling. I've been trying to say to Sparky is like, and my dad as well. My dad is one of the guys, like, is, is, every time it gets to five minutes left in the fourth, he's like, every single time, give it to, I'm like, okay, there can be there can be plays where it goes to someone else. There can be plays where Dame gets used off the ball. There can be plays where, you know, again, against Indiana, like I had no problem, you know, when Giannis wants to take the ball, it's like the dude has 50 points. Like, you know, they can't stop him. Okay, it doesn't have to go through Dame. I completely agree. I think the default setting should be, okay, get it to Dame, but there's times where, you know, in the flow of the game, it can be Chris, it can be Giannis, it can be whatever. Um, They have gone in the clutch sometimes this year, at least lately. Like, even with Dame on the court, they've gone to Chris and used Dame a little bit more off the ball, and it seems like that's a little bit by design. What do you think of that? Because I don't mind it, you know, um, a little bit. Like, I don't mind having them for a couple possessions. Like, if Dame's a little bit, either tired and or maybe they're just like hey you know again use him off the ball use his gravity to generate looks for Giannis and Chris rather than just having Dame bring the ball up and all of a sudden you've got you know they can double team him easily and get the ball of his hands easily um or it generates you know a better look for Dame maybe off the ball because again it's just harder to then neutralize him when he doesn't have the ball right away so what do you think of that uh, I know Chris's ball handling can be spotty at times but to me I think most of the time he's able to competently run an offense. And like, if you can do that, then it's like, Hey, you know, we can give a couple possessions to him, uh, get Dame a little bit of a breather here or use him off ball or whatever. And it seems like they like doing that. It seems like that's something that they've tried by design. Uh, I, I don't know what you think of that. Cause I know a lot of people just get so mad when Chris is bringing the ball up late, but to me, I'm, I mean, I looked at it and I was like, they're doing this on purpose. Like this isn't Chris, waving everyone off saying, no, give me the ball. I'm the guy like it's they're doing this by design. I, I didn't I don't know what to think of it, though, because it's gotten mixed results. And obviously you want Dame to have the ball more than anyone else. But um, I just I want to get your thoughts on it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's actually they've they've kind of gone to the Kawhi isolation idea from what teams would do to the Kawhi on the Spurs back when he played for them, which is when teams send their best defender 90 feet to pick up Dame full court late. And I forget what game it was where they went to it over and over. 
maybe the most recent Bulls game. I, I can't remember now. They they closed out the game doing it. They basically would inbound to Chris, and he moved up the court quickly, and they would run four-on-four four Chris Giannis pick-and-rolls, and it's easier to attack an, a defense if it's four-on-four four versus five-on-five. Five. There's one less defender there. There's more space all around, and they got a bunch of really good looks, mostly for Giannis, by just teams not having enough personnel to cover all the ground that you need to cover to take Giannis away and that's the kind of thing we just never would have seen before right there was there was no one who was going to be drawing defenses that far away from from the rim uh as as Dame does I think what the the trap they fall into is okay that that's a good idea in theory and I'm fine with them going to it sometimes I actually think they don't work enough to get Dame sprung when teams do try and take him away that's probably one of my biggest gripes offensively is like I, I wouldn't just go to Chris Giannis, you know, ten times in a row if they're gonna double or if they're gonna face guard Dame all the way down. I would try and do more back screens to to get him sprung like past half court when he's becomes a shooting threat. You know, have Brook screen there and then kind of trail as a three point shooter into the play. And you got Giannis kind of lurking in the dunker where if his man falls asleep for a second, it's a dunk. Get two shooters on the perimeter, that sort of thing. I think sometimes they go a little too easily away from Dame when teams are, which pretty much every team, and I really didn't expect this, pretty much every team they play is sending two to Dame all the time. And that started in preseason. I really, you know, I figured with Giannis's gravity, we would see kind of teams try and pick one or the other. What they just send two at Dame, send more to Giannis as the roller, and then, you know, pretty much hope and pray that the shooters that are end up being open aren't able to get the ball off or they can force a turnover before the shot even goes up. So I think there needs to be a little bit more work done to make sure, okay, we're using him as a decoy sometimes. That's fine. It's still Dame, though, and he's that good of a decoy for a reason, and we don't want to get him out of the offense entirely. So I think it's fine to do it here and there. I am just a little wary of how much they did it as a percentage of their offense in Dame's minutes uh, in some of those occasions. He is our guy, Ty Windish, Eurostep Podcast. Follow him on Twitter at Ty Windish. Uh, Ty, uh, anything you want to promote uh, coming up? I know you guys got your Packers podcast, you got Brewers podcast. You guys got a whole bunch of stuff going on. Yeah, we are reacting to the cold stove Brewers offseason right now. Who doesn't love backup catchers? The Packers trying to make the playoffs. And, of course, all things Bucks. You can find all the links, all the podcasts at gspn.info. Would love to have you join us after rating and reviewing and giving five stars to this wonderful podcast, too. So are you with me or against me on trading Burns and trading Adamas? Uh, I would like to keep Willie, but it, depending on the package, I'm open to it for sure. And B- Burns, I think it's just probably, it sucks, but it's just probably the right thing to do, especially as you usher in the new Cheerio era. Let's get some more kind of reinforcements. They got nice I'm, Cheerio. I'm yeah, they got nice Cheerio jerseys uh, uh, already in the pro shop uh, at American Family Field. I was surprised. I went in there, you get a gift card uh, last week. And, and right there when you walk in, I was like, Oh, these are, these are real nice. Very nice. Ty, thank you so much for coming on my friend. Appreciate it. Green and growing podcast, downloading your Odyssey app or wherever you download your favorite podcast at. Uh, and of course, so you can follow Nathan Marzian and Nathan Marzian, follow me at Sparky radio, and you can check all this out on the Odyssey sports YouTube page as well. Like follow, subscribe, ring the bell, whatever y'all do on all these other podcasts like Ty's do it for us too. Thank you. Have a good day. Toodles. 